Hi everyone, this is Bob Branco. Welcome to Branco Broadcast. How are you this evening? We're very pleased to have the Director of Rehabilitation Services for the Carroll Center for the Blind in Newton, Massachusetts with us, Jennifer Harnish. Good evening, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You can give us a brief background of what you do and how you do it, and, and then we'll take questions. Oh, sure. Well, I uh, started off at the Carroll Center as an intern in the counseling department, and then I started working there as the counselor, and uh, now I'm the director of uh, rehabilitation services. So rehab services at the Carroll Center is our uh, center-based training program for individuals who are blind. Uh, We have an adult program, 18 and up, through the academic year, and then we also have summer programs for teenagers. And in that, um, in that role, um, I have a manage a staff. Um, we have instructors, uh, orientation and mobility specialists, uh, communication skills, which is our overall name that would include things like uh, computer training, um, iPhone and Android training, note taking. Uh, all kinds of record-keeping skills, and we have a woodshop instructor, manual arts, we call it, uh, fencing classes. We also have Braille, um, low vision training for those with some functional vision, and we also have personal management, so all things involved in managing uh, day-to-day, and counseling as well, both individual and group um, and um, we also do vocational uh, training and preparation. So we have a vocational specialist as well, um, all parts of the rehab department, and a great group of dorm supervisors who work uh, in our dorms for people who are staying overnight. What else would you like to know about the work that I do there? Uh, whatever you'd like to tell us, and if not, okay. we can have our participants ask you things that you might not have covered. Okay, that's fine. So, um, you, or would you rather open it up for right oh, now? What think, do you want I to do? I could say a little bit more about it. Um, I come to the program um, as a clinical psychologist. That was my um, academic training, and I did have a private practice for a short period of time. And one of the pieces of the Carroll Center role that really appealed to me was this understanding of the role that emotional adjustment plays um, in coping with vision loss. Uh, So for many individuals that we serve, they are coming to us newer to vision loss, either progressive vision loss or more sudden or adventitious vision loss. And so there can be um, an adjustment to that. So the Carroll Center believes in providing that both counseling supports, both one-on-one, sort of a private counseling every week, um, as well as in group. Um, And also the living together in the dorm is a really nice peer environment. Many really benefit from that. Uh, Many individuals I work with often say that they may never have known a blind person before coming to the Carroll Center. So to come to a place where there are many others coping with, you know, some of the changes and challenges and experiencing a lot of the gains that come with training um, is really a, a really important part um, of the adjustment to vision loss. 
So I um, was actually a consumer there. Uh, it's probably been 10 years now. Um, some of the people that I went there with were actually going to be having a 10-year celebration uh, to, you know, just recognize the friendships that we developed. Um, and it really made such a difference in my life. Um, I have RP, uh, retinitis pigmentosa. Um, I was diagnosed when I was 15. And, of course, um, at that age, the only thing I cared about was whether or not I could still get my driver's license. And at that point, the doctor said, yes, I could. And I didn't care anything else about my diagnosis for, oh, gosh, I don't know, many years. Um, I was glad, you know, looking back, glad to know at that age I could make some changes in my career decisions and knew in the back of my head I should one day live in a place that had good public transportation, and um, that did provide a lot of, you know, guidance to the steps that I'd be taking as my vision uh, changed over time. Uh, the Carroll Center was one of my first experiences with blindness training. Um, I did do some community mobility uh, through the Commission for the Blind. I got my first cane. Um, as with many individuals I work with, I had one lesson. Um, I was in my late 20s, and I'll always remember going up the street, a young kid said, Mom, why does she have that big white stick? And I turned to my instructor and I said, all right, I'm done. We're going home. And, uh, you know, I always tell that story to others who are experiencing something similar because it, it took me a couple of years. I needed to get to know others who were blind and then took on the training program and realized just how much developing my skills could do for getting a job, for being a better parent, um, and, you know, just being able to make a difference um, in whatever I would, would end up doing. Um, so I have uh, three children. Um, they're all teenagers now. Uh, my son is 18, and I have twin daughters who are 13, and they've been a, a great part of the journey, um, as I like to call it. Um, and um, uh, sorry, my daughter was saying something in the background. Um, and uh, my husband as well. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really I really love living in the Boston area. I think that's an important part too. And I've kept the friends I made at the Carroll Center. So many of them. Um, it's just so great to have that support of others who, you know, kind of walking a similar walk. Um, and now it's it's really nice to get to know individuals who come to the Carroll Center for their training um, to see their growth um, over time as they go through the training programs. Um, you know, I should say we have other, other training uh, at the Carroll Center. You know, we're known for our center-based program, but as I – when I began my internship there and you know, even over the six years since I've been working there, um, learned about so much more of what we do. Um, for many who may be listening who were students, um, you know, in like a K through 12 system, you may have had a TVI or an O&M specialist from uh, the Ed Services Department working with you. Um, we also have community mobility instructors and rehab teachers. Um, we have a, a very strong technology training department. Um, we have a, a newer web, website accessibility program, um, and we also have 
um, uh, I know I'm forgetting something. Um, it'll come to me. But we do a lot of work in the community. We're really looking to kind of expand the awareness of the Carroll Center. Um, you know, we're kind of this small place um, in the middle of Newton, and uh, we're doing a lot more now to make make connections and support individuals who are blind um, or have low vision. We also have a, a strong low vision clinic um, and our store as well that, that has a lot of the day-to-day items that individuals who have low vision or who are blind use. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's a, a lot going on there, and it's uh, it's been a great place to work. Before I open up the floor to questions, I want to recognize two other individuals, Jennifer, and I know that you know them very well. How could you not? I'm going to start out by talking about Richard Roper, who was my very first mobility instructor here in New Bedford back in the 70s. He is one of the best in his field. He really, really is. I had the pleasure of seeing him again about a year or two ago at a support group meeting here in New Bedford. He was on the verge of retirement. I'm not sure if he has yet. But he's a good man and a good teacher, Rich Roper. Do you know him? Um, absolutely. We just recognized him probably a year, year and a half ago. Um, so he's, uh, yeah, he's really been, been an excellent instructor. And, and, of course, the other guy, Brian Charlson, he's been to the, there for decades. Good man, knows his field. It's helped me out a lot. Yeah, he's the director of our technology department there. Yeah. Good man. And a big advocate in the blindness community, too. He certainly is. Okay, I'm going to open it up to questions. My first person to ask questions will be Stephen. Hi, I have more comments. Uh, I I just want to say when I started the Carroll Center, I was like, oh, I'm I going to go through 12 weeks. I want to go to the tech program. But, you know, I said, okay, mobility is great, and I guess I'll learn Braille since they didn't teach it to me at Perkins. But, First day of classes, I enjoyed all my classes. I never thought of, like, fencing because when I was younger, I wasn't really into the athletics. So with all the skills, which are very important, I think the Carroll Center has done for me and a lot of other people has given me a lot of confidence that I didn't have. And I would have never gotten my MBTA job or published my book or started writing my second book if it hadn't been for the great staff and the support I got. And... um I guess my only two regrets at the Carroll Center was I, I should have built the Canadian Rocker, and I wanted to have Ed for mobility. So I guess you're going to have to get that room for me so I can redo it. <laughs> but thanks. It's, thanks. You've been great. And I, I really uh, – the Carroll Center for me is like I, I, I would advertise for you for free because I think it's a great place. It's done – I mean, my confidence – if I look – I can't believe it's been three and a half years since I – graduated, but I, I've just come such a long way, and like you said about the emotional support, is probably, of course, the skills, all that skill training is very important, but I think giving people back their confidence or improving the confidence is really very important, so thanks. Well, and I think you, you know, do advertise for us just day-to-day basis the work that you do and the writing that you do. I mean, I think that's for individuals to leave and be able to go and live a full life i mean to me right. that's that's in itself says what we're what we're all about yep and you were part uh project search is another another yeah, program that we're that's involved good. in that's really yeah. was it really valuable like i said for the t and i also found that somebody on linkedin 
found me, and I'm, I do web accessibility testing from home. So I, I'm, I'm pretty happy where I am now. So I, I really want to thank all the staff, and the supervisors were great too. You know, like you said, that peer support. And, of course, when I was there, I was, a little, you know, a little, everyone rebels a little. But I, 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 I was put into shape pretty quick. And like I said, fencing, I never, I'd like to do more of that. But Yeah, the fencing's pretty fascinating. I thought so. Hi, Joni. Hi, Jennifer. Um, Hi, Joni. I have a couple of questions. Um, do you have a program for people that are, you know, in the elderly group? Um, in other words, can a person come to you if they're, I don't know what the age is, what, is it 55 now where they have this elder thing? Well, it depends if, if you're coming to the uh, programs in the rehab department. Um, there is a program we offer called Essential Skills, and that is geared towards seniors. Um, if you're working with the Commission for the Blind in Massachusetts, you would want to talk to them um, if you feel you needed um, some training. It's a two-week program that we offer. Um, what about out-of-staters? Do you take out-of-staters? Well, that's up to the state. We do have um, relationships with um, many other state agencies, and we have had individuals approach us from other states to find out about uh, services. Our admissions director uh, is the person to contact. Her name is Kathy Felt, F-E-L-T, and if you call the main Carroll Center number, uh, you'd be able to uh, talk with her, leave her a message, you know, that you're interested in some training. She can tell you about all the services that we have. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Marcy. Peter Donahue. Hi. Uh, Marcy, you're next. Peter, you're after Marcy. Go ahead, Marcy. Okay. Um, I, um, I also went to the Carroll Center. Very nice. And it was great. I learned a lot. I mean, I was in between jobs and stuff, and I got my confidence. And then I went to Children's Hospital, and then they had the program for the uh, the award the award for the for the Carroll Center. And my boss, uh, the head of mobility. The uh, the the director filled it out, and I was very honored to receive the award. So you're referring in to the Carol Awards. Yeah, you're yes. One of our Carol Award recipients, that. and that's something yes. that every year, together with the Commission for the Blind, we recognize right. blind employees. So right. Congratulations. And I was, thank you. I was very very honored to to receive that, but. Like Steve, Steve says, I, I, I can't say enough about the Carroll Center. I just finished uh, mobility uh, training, a refresher. I, I, I think, you know, uh, there's always improvement for more and more. That's right. But, and um, Joe Cole, I mean, he, he's like, oh, my God. I've never had such an instructor that yeah, I learned one so of much about. Mobility instructors. Yes, and I just I can't say enough about them. 
But, um... Okay, uh, Peter. Okay, uh, Jennifer, okay, I have um, a couple questions. Well, the first first one is a two-part question. Um, for a, First of all, the first part of that is for a student who goes through your program, about what what is the cost uh, for, for a student to attend your program? Well, it depends on the program that you're doing, and you would need to talk to the state agency who you're working with um, in terms of the cost of the program and um, to, you know, find out more about that. Oh, you just led up to the second part of my question, and that is, you know, this is, as I said, this is this first question is a two-parter. Uh, you know, commonly, most blind people commonly you'll get sent to you or have their expenses picked up by some state VR agency for the blind. Welcome to the age of disruptive marketing, and welcome to the age of alternatives to voc rehab. You know, we now have things like uh, crowdfunding, networking and other types of platforms that allow people to raise money that would you know that that you know for various purposes and attending a program like yours would be one such purpose uh, you know one such reason to use one of these things as opposed to uh going through a state rehab agency and having to uh you know go through all the hassles and all the stuff that you get to be with one of them and you know some people like Joni who just want elder services, don't always qualify. My question would be, if someone says, okay, you know, this is what, okay, you tell me what, what, what the training costs. I have these resources available. I don't want to have to tangle with uh, VR. And under the ADA, uh, Section 5, Title B, keep that in mind, Section 5, uh, I, I mean, Title 5, Section B. Um, if if a person can you know can demonstrate that they have an alternative way to fund their training at your facility, would you work with that consumer who is using an alternative you know, to the state vocational rehab program, uh, you know, to 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 fund their training at your facility? Oh, absolutely. It's not that it's a requirement to go through a state agency. Um, so okay. we do have individuals who um, pay privately, and whether that's done through crowdfunding, um, you know, other methods of uh, okay. bringing the funding. We have a very active development department as well. So even with the agencies funding the training at the Carroll Center or in our community or at services departments, we also do a lot of fundraising ourselves. Um, so that development department is very, very active yeah. so that we can – you know, be able to have the programs. But, yeah, okay, here comes absolutely the second question. Call, call Kathy. Call our um, admissions. Just call and ask for admissions. Okay. Um, um, you know, prices will vary depending on kinds of training you're doing, uh, who yeah. you're working with, anything like that. So I can't give you a specific number. But yeah. yeah, well, we actually, you know, we, we're yeah. – okay, well, I'm just curious about you. Actually, we prefer the uh, structured discovery consumer-driven approach, which is used by some of our agencies, uh, you know, such as the Louisiana Center and the Colorado Center for the Blind and Blindness Learning in New Dimensions up in Minnesota. And the Chris Cole Rehab Center here in Austin does some of that. And you mentioned connections a while ago. This leads up to my second question. Um, I had 
I had the privilege of attending two of the major schools for the blind, Oak Hill and Perkins. And, you know, and I got a good grounding in blindness skills and, you know, got a good education, but there were opportunities to do, to participate activities I wish I could have taken advantage of, but because they were not offered, um, you know, didn't get to do so. A uh, couple good examples. Uh, there's a program out there called Ski for Light. And, uh, you know, if you've got consumers that want to try skiing, you know, want to be able to, you know, try skiing, and likewise, another organization called the United States Blind Golf Association has been around for years. These schools for the blind never approached us to find out if we wanted the opportunity to try these activities, and they could have partnered with these two groups to offer those programs and give us that type of experience. And my question is, would you guys or have you partnered with uh, these two organizations or other, you know, sports organizations for the blind or, you know, whatever a consumer would be interested in to ensure that they have that experience and that they don't, you know, that they're not sold short and that, uh, you know, and that that, uh, they can test their limits. I mean, uh, I know of blind people who have gone skydiving. Uh, the Colorado oh, Center for the Blind does technical rock climbing. And, uh-huh. and, and I know because I tried it myself. So I guess that's my question is, you know, um, we are, are you willing to make connections so that blind people with an interest in these types of things have the chance to participate? Well, we're not just willing, but we do that. Um, we okay. have a weekly resource seminar, we call it. So we bring in individuals from you know, full variety, not just recreation, but other resources that blind individuals may be interested in. And actually, Ski for Light, uh, Marie Hennessy is coming uh, oh, to okay. to our, our students. Um, we also, Bill McMahon, uh, the late Bill McMahon, um, was very active in the Blind Golfers Association. He was a longtime member of our board, um, unfortunately Good. passed away earlier this year. Um, and, um, you know, really it is a matter of, just providing that education on what exists. Um, right. The summer recreation is a really critical part of our summer programs for teens. So we had involvement with um, ice hockey um, and an organization who came in to introduce our students to ice hockey, and they did some street hockey. Um, cool. I mean, we do all kinds of, of sports in the summer. Fencing is one that we're known for. Um, you know, especially because it, because of its relationship to things like orientation in the mm-hmm. environment um, and other things that are connected with mobility. But it's also a big part of confidence building as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, oh, okay. I was introduced actually to blind skiing um, through the Carroll Center when I was there. I hadn't skied for about 15 years, and uh, through one of the programs that – they had back then, um, I was able to start skiing again, which has been great. All right, moving right along, we have Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Hi, I'm Lauren, Lauren, and uh, I'm from New Jersey, and um, I've heard all about the Carroll Center and uh, all the wonderful things that it's done. So I don't really have any questions. I'm just here to uh, listen to everything you have to say. Thank you. Okay, Don. Hi, Don. 
Don? Uh, Bob? There you go. Yep, you're on. Here he is. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I was muted, so that's why. Uh, yeah, okay. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Jennifer, uh, two very brief questions. Um, uh, did you know uh, who I feel uh, was one of the best uh, mobility teachers, uh, Peter Waterfield? Uh, did you know him? Actually, Peter was my second mobility instructor. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, okay. I've had many. It took me a while to get my act together. So. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I live in Worcester, Mass. Uh, and uh, I had Peter uh, after I graduated from Perkins. Uh, yeah, and Peter was my uh, community teacher. Uh, yeah, and yeah, I know he's retired now, uh, but uh, he... Uh, he was something else. Uh, uh, when he would work with a client, uh, he would make you feel like uh, he's a personal friend. Uh, and he uh, he was the best in my book anyway. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, people's skills are so critical when you're an instructor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, he made you feel uh, such at ease, you know. Uh, how long ago did he retire? Uh, do you know of him? You know, I don't. I worked with him maybe 15 years ago, so uh-huh. I know as of 15 years ago he was uh, still working in the field. But I'm sure he's actively mentoring uh, people now as well. So, uh, Well, we just recently had a mobility instructor uh, on uh, Bob's uh-huh. uh, on Bob's uh, uh, your broadcast, and, uh, yeah, Peter is retired now, but uh, it's... Uh, but that must have been uh, yeah, uh, some time ago. Uh, yeah, uh, Jennifer, my next question is, uh, do you offer, um, uh, yeah, you offer medical uh, transcription? Um, as a training program? Like in how yes. to be a medical transcriber? Is that what yes. you're asking? Um, we don't train in a, for specific careers. Um, you know, certainly if, you know, with uh, with computer skills and such, that's a really critical part of what we do. Um, so it could definitely be preparing somebody for a field of that sort. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, no, I was just curious because I uh, I worked in the field uh, 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 from the middle 70s to the early 90s uh, uh, for the greater part of 13 years. Uh, and at that time, uh, I was working on uh, electric typewriters, uh, but oh, uh, computers were not really uh, out uh, uh, in my day. Uh, but I was, uh, you know, I was just wondering whether the Carroll Center uh, offered uh, a medical transcription. So, I mean, in the one piece we do in the medical world, it's not job training, but we do have um, a registered nurse who. Mm-hmm. Trains individuals in um, managing healthcare needs. Uh, uh-huh. Diabetes is a, you know, a special focus that we have, but certainly all kinds oh, yes. of adaptive methods. So I hadn't mentioned that, but that is part of the training that we do. And uh, okay. diabetes care training, we also do that out in the community. Okay, very good. Uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you for the questions. Okay, Karen. Why yes, um, Jennifer, I believe I've met you before, but um, I just want to say I really enjoyed going to the Carroll Center. 
1984 and 2003 for okay. computer training uh, in 1984. It was born evaluation introducing me to the computer. I didn't really go further than that. I began working about a year later. And um, in 2003, though, I really enjoyed the training and introducing me more to the Internet and Word and email. You know, the, I knew some of it anyway because I'd been trained by a rehab teacher um, in introducing me to the computer. But it helped me in when I got my computer with the help of an agency, Memorial Foundation out here in the Worcester. And um, it helped me with learning how to use it and eventually being published in both Consumer Vision and I also wrote for the Ziegler, but I just want to say I think the Carroll Center is a great place. And it's just the atmosphere there was wonderful. And I made some friends. Yep. Well, thank you. And I think you've pointed out that updating of technology, that's certainly uh, one thing that individuals come back for. Um, you know, as we know, things change now, much. Now, I have a question for you. Do you have distance learning that, you know, people pay for? I'd, I've heard about it. Um, at one point, we were doing some diabetes um, distance learning, and, you know, I'm not it aware. Was, it's in computer time. stuff. I, I think I had that for a while. And then yeah, I stopped Charles looking it up. Topics. Yep. It's not something that um, I'm not sure currently if someone can take those. Um, oh, okay. We're always looking into other methods of sharing information. Mm. Um, now, this wouldn't be distance learning, but while we're talking technology, um, you know, people can set aside this. The Tuesday before Thanksgiving every year mm -hmm. is our technology fair, so that's open awesome. to the public. And there's oh, always, yeah, I keep on forgetting about it. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday before Thanksgiving, now, demonstrations of new topics and technology and a lot of vendors who come and talk about what they, the services they provide, including some recreation uh, organizations. Uh, just to go back. Yeah, another question I wanted to ask you is, do you ever, with your skiing, provide any lessons in, like, water skiing or anything like that? Um, we don't do water skiing, uh, but um, why not? I, you know, there you I tried yeah. water skiing once. I have to admit, I didn't get very far out of the water. I didn't either, but I'd love to learn it. Yeah, that would be fun. We'll have to to figure that out somehow. On the yeah. Charles River. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Okay, it's on the Charles River. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, anything else, Karen? Nothing else I can think of right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, there is one other person, I believe, on the line uh, that I have not identified yet. Who haven't I called upon? How about Cleora? Cleora, uh, you're next. Uh, at last, I'm heard. Hi, Cleora. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Well, I'm doing well, thanks. This Carol Center sounds exciting. Uh, a great benefit. By the way, I also have RP. Oh. I wish mine had been diagnosed when I was a teenager. It really does vary from person to person. Yeah, well, a, a lot of it has to do if you go to a doctor that knows what it is. 
Mm. Yeah, that can take some time. Um, my brother was diagnosed uh, when he was in New Jersey. Uh, he went to get his eyes checked. And goes, oh, well, you know you have RP, right? And my brother goes, say what? Right. What is this? Yeah. Um, and then through that I found out that this was, you know, this wasted about 15 or 20 years of my life not knowing. Mm. Uh, what is the maximum number? Do you have a limit to the number of students that you have at a time? Or uh, do you just... Uh, I'm sure you can't just take, you know, everybody that, uh, you know, what, what is the maximum students that you have at a time? Well, it depends on how many are in the dorm. So we have mm -hmm. dormitory space for 20 students, um, and then we also have students who will commute uh, for their training if they live close enough to be able to do that. So on campus, uh, we would have 20 living in the dorms. Um, in the summer, we actually rent a dorm um, at LaSalle College so that we can provide an additional, well, a couple of additional programs, and uh, we just need to make sure we have enough space for everybody to, to be. So we do uh, a work preparation program, um, and those students live in one of the dorms um, over at the college, and they get the college experience. So that's not too far away. Yeah, maybe, you know, one or two commuting. It, it really varies. So you must have a, a really uh, pretty good-sized staff then to really give oh, yeah. good attention to everyone that comes. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of content areas that are important to teach, and uh, so we want to be able to cover those um, you know, thoroughly. And then our dormitory supervisor, staff. Uh, we have a supervisor on in each. We have two different dorms on campus, mm -hmm. and so each one is staffed with a supervisor. So that those are additional staff as well. So maybe about, okay, so I'm not sure then. Is that 20 students in one dorm, or is that 10 students in each dorm? Um, there's five, five uh, students in one of the dorms. Um, and then we have another 15 um, in the other dorm. That's St. Paul, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, St. Paul's is the larger of the two. I see. <laughs> okay, well, wow. I may, uh, if there's some contact information here at the end sometime as to how to contact them. Uh, I think it was Joni that was asking about, you know, um, and some others that had asked about maybe remote training or um Access for out of state or older, yeah, yeah, out of state or like older students. Um, you know, uh, as was pointed out, say like now the way what used to be called the Commission for the Blind is, it, it's just about become a point where uh, people like me, you know, don't qualify for anything because I'm not looking to be trained for a job or anything like that now. There you go. And, uh, yeah, it's difficult, you know, with state funding, um, you know, go, right. please, everyone, well, advocate you have with, your, yeah, with your representatives, with your state senators, um, for the importance of those kinds of services, um, not just to working age individuals. Mm -hmm. I, I, have to, I have to kind of defend the Commission for the Blind, because if it wasn't for the Commission for the Blind, I wouldn't have been able to go to the Carroll Center. Right. To have, to have uh, Joe Kolb as an instructor. 
Well, that was kind of when they when I reopened my case, they were like, "Do you want to go to the Carroll Center?" And of course, back then, right. I like, well, I kind of have to, not really, but I'm glad I went through because they helped me out. You got to go. It's a um, catch twenty two. Yeah, one hand, no, one hand watches the other. So I could have said, "No, I don't want to go to the Carroll Center." And they said, "Well, I guess we can't help you then." So they helped me a lot. And when I saw how much it cost to go, I was like, I was really grateful that I had somebody funded me to go because it was like, I would have never been able to come up with that kind of money. Exactly. So I, I defend the commission, you know, for all, all the faults. No, nothing's perfect, but, you know, I'm just grateful I had the opportunity to do it. We still have a couple of minutes. If anybody wants to ask another question, I think we've covered everybody on the call. Oh, is Karen, I had one question to ask. Can you uh, ask? Or did Cleora had another question? I didn't realize. I think Cleora beat you by a quarter of a second. Go ahead, Cleora. Uh, I was wondering if we could get the number for the Carroll Center or contact. Yes. Um, Not a bad idea. And also a website, Jennifer, too. Of course. So the phone number, um, our main phone number is 617 969 I'll repeat it. A couple times. So it's 617-969-6200. That's 617-969-6200. And, you know, when you're calling, you can ask about, um, you know, for admissions or just to find out more about our services. Um, our website is uh, www.carol, which is C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot org. And I would just um, also every, just about every month, the first Wednesday of the month, we have an information day, and that is open to anyone who'd like to come and learn about uh, what we do at the Carroll Center, and you'll also have a nice lunch as part of that. So you can call that main number to uh, register for that information day. And some people just drop in. Um, like I mentioned, we have a great uh, store on campus with a lot of the uh, supplies that individuals might uh, use when they have low vision or are blind. I've even bought some for my parents who have great vision. <laughs> uh, Karen, you had a question. Yes, I had a question as to how long does the independent living uh, sessions last now. I know they used to be 16 weeks. I'm told that they're not anymore. Um, so the independent living program is a 12-week program. That's what I want, uh, yeah. Right. We also have what's called the vocational transition program. That's a 20-week program, typically wow. oh, geared wow. towards young adults uh, who uh, are new uh -huh. to the employment world. Mm -hmm. um, we also have um, the technology depart department. The length of its programs varies, but right now there's a six-week program called yes. Computing um, for Employment, oh. and uh, there'll be another mm -hmm. program starting as well, and that includes vocational preparation wow. um, as well as part of it. Mm -hmm. And um, then in the summer programs, they range from five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, uh, depending on the program. Do you, do you know why they went from 16 to 12 weeks? Um, you know, I wasn't there when that change happened, right. um, so mm -hmm. I, I can't answer that question. Right. I was just I was just thinking about, because yeah. I remember that Father Carroll's book was talking about the 16-week program, and I said, wow. Mm -hmm. 
It's interesting. Yeah, my guess it probably had to do with overall funding for training. Um, mm, you know, yeah. the, the state commissions, you know, their hands are often tied by yeah. the federal yeah. and state funding mm-hmm. that they receive. So. Um, Any other questions? Peter yeah, Donahue. Oh, sorry. Oh, Peter. Okay. I Well, uh, speaking of O&M and mobility instructors, um, I wonder if, if there's a guy named William Lydon who's still teaching up there in Boston. He was my instructor at the Oak Hill School for the Blind. I'm, I'm not that name familiar with that name. Okay. But, again, I've only been um, employed at the Carroll Center for six years. So. Okay. Yeah, because he was – he was a good instructor. I think the reason why uh, they matched me with him was because both he and I were from the uh, Boston area. And oh. uh, he, um, you know, so it, you know, he knew I was from there. And um, he, uh, it, it, and one of the things that happened when I was in Oak Hill is um, is that I got training to work the entire route from between Oak Hill and my home in Brockton. And I did that whole thing on Greyhound and public transportation entirely on my own before I was transferred back to Perkins in uh, 1973. Now, one thing that we are blessed with here in Texas, and I know that there's a future guest who's going to be discussing this subject in detail, and uh, I hope that you know, you'll be free to join us, and that is down here in Texas, we are blessed to have three blind O&M instructors, one of whom worked with my wife, Mary, and uh, she has had the experience of working with a, you know, with with both sighted and blind instructors, and the sighted instructor that she had when she moved here almost left our place the hard way. That lady would have had her using paratransit to go to the mailbox. On the other hand, (laughs) when uh, she uh, got training, uh, when she went to work for uh, Marriott in their reservation center here. Uh, the paratransit wouldn't take the blind workers all the way to their facility because it was outside the transit area. So um, they got a guy named Garrett Aguilar, uh, who's uh, he he's a site instructor, but he got his training through Louisiana Tech University, and um, he got you know, so he got structure discovery training, and he had. Just about all of those people working the route and walking between the drop-off and pickup point for Viatrans, which is our paratransit service, and the recre- and the uh, Marriott Reservation Center. And you know, you talk about orient peer, peer mentoring and stuff. Um, I it's just terrible that we do not have in New England of all places that things are not more progressive and that we have blind people teaching these types of skills up there in New England. We have a lot of – it's worked out real well in a lot of other places around the country. There's a track record, and I really don't – and I really think it's time that, it, that, that more agencies around the country stop ignoring it and let's put more blind people to work and get that 70% unemployment rate down and give blind – consumers a better experience when they have this training good talk good to hear from you well and thank you for sharing i think you're you're definitely right about getting people to work and uh that's certainly something we we feel very strongly about anyone else we got a couple yeah, I, minutes. I, had a, I had a quick uh, one on uh, steven 
Is, is Nick still at the front desk? He was a great guy. Nick has retired. Yeah, hey, I thought I thought Marion told me that. And um, how about Dina Rosenbaum? Is she still working there at the She Carol is. She's Center? our chief program officer now. Chief program. Oh wow, great. So she okay. she manages uh, my program as well as others. Oh, okay. Oh, Jennifer, okay. I have a que- uh, I have a question. Um, how do you feel about the partially sighted and blind people? Um, do you do you feel we get enough representation other than just uh, White Cane Day? I mean, with all the other different things like uh, L times. Uh, arthritis and everything, all the different publicity. Do you think we get enough? Um, You know, I think it's what we all put into it as a community. Um, I think although there are structured events like White Cane Day, Blind Day, um, you know, other opportunities like that, you know, I I encourage everyone to go uh, to their state representatives or senators, stop in at their office, uh, visit your local rep. You know, there's. I always just say, don't don't wait for someone else to organize an event um, for you. Yeah, Go I ahead. did do that. White chain yeah. day. I went to everybody when I was in the uh, state house. Yeah, and I mean, share Staple. with them um, what's been helpful to you as a blind individual um, to mm-hmm. become employed, to raise a family, to be active mm-hmm. in your community. Um, I think those are the kinds of things that you know to put a real face. Um, on whatever someone's situation is. Um, I mean, I went to Legacy Place with my girlfriend, and she and I were walking, and this little girl, this little girl said to her mother, uh, "Why? What's that lady? Why does that lady have a white cane?" And the mother turned around and said, "Oh, don't go near her. She has a disease." And I turned around and I said to the little girl, "I don't have a disease. Your mother's ignorant." I carry this because I'm legally blind, and it's supposed to show that I have a problem with my sight. Please be aware. Yeah. And, I mean... What we talk with our consumers about is just how to, not only how to advocate, but also how to explain about their vision loss. Yeah. I mean, I always say that most people aren't uh, kind of trained in how to talk yeah. to someone who's blind or about how blind people learn to do things that they do. Yeah, so the security guard, the, there was a security guard and a regular Dedham police officer, and the Dedham police officer said, lady, if I could give out tickets to stupidity, you would have a bunch of them. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've got some, you had some good people on your side there, and good people yeah. for just speaking out and explaining. I think that actually yeah, my girlfriend was afraid that, you know, with everything today that she would, like, beat me up. But I'm not afraid. Yeah. Because if you don't advocate, who's going to do it for you? Yeah. And I think just giving the explanation. Um, yeah. Using the words. Often people don't know what words to use, so you're modeling, yeah. you know, that I am legally blind, and that's why I use this white cane. You know, those kinds of things help people know what they might say in the future. And who knows that the woman... Yeah, the other thing is, is there such a... I saw in a book that was sent out to me, but I've never seen anyone use it yet. Red and white describes deafness. I'm Red and white cane. It looks like a candy cane. Okay. Oh, I had a question. Um, 
I think um, Marcy was going to ask it. Are you are you aware of? Because I know you have a lot of psychology background about blind people and, and rocking. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. And and I'm wondering if you have a if, if anyone has a theory about that because I I used to do it when I was younger, and I think it was just a way of I didn't have any other stimulation, so I was kind of like I I don't know if you're familiar with that. I have heard of it, and you know, it. We do have individuals now and then. Um, I have yeah. heard the the theory about self-stimulation. Um, another, when we we work with individuals on general soft skills, um, one of them um, would be, you know, if if someone is raised and they're blind, they're not seeing how other people uh, move or don't move about, and without that experience, for example, you. Most most people, if you can see, you talk with your hands, but no one ever says right. to you, oh, move your hands when you talk. Right. Um, you just see other people doing it and pick it up that way. So there's certain things that need to be taught, um, and that may be one of them. Um, you know, what to do if you feel like you need to rock. There's some different substitutes that <laughs> you could have. But it, it's not an area that I have any specific training. Right, right. Those are just some things that came to mind oh, when you were asking. Well, I, I, I have a retinopathy, ROP, retinopathy uh-huh. maturity. <clears throat> and um, I, when I was a child, I rocked and when I'm by myself, I will admit it, I still do. I do too sometimes. I was, it, it's a comfort thing, um, but I, my parents were fantastic. And um, this is Joni, by the way. My parents were wonderful, and they made me extremely independent and so that I could live in a sighted world. They mm-hmm. constantly pushed me to look at the person that I was listening, hearing, you know, just uh-huh. try to develop not eye contact because I couldn't have eye contact, but be as close to knowing where the person is and trying to direct my eyes to where they were. And um, I was was very fortunate. I started learning at an early age. Uh, they just made me be independent. My mom started teaching me um, cooking skills and things like that when I was very young. Um, it was just a natural part of of what they taught me. Um, and I think that rocking is something that people, um, you see people that have never seen um, I think that do it more like ROPs or uh, people with what you probably would call congenital blindness do it. And it's, um, I mean, I was taught that you don't rock in public. Mm-hmm. You don't poke your eyes, which was something I did when I was little. Um, those are all comfort things I think that blind kids do. Because you can't look around and see what's going on around you. And, yes, you have your ears to listen to everything, but you need some kind of stimulation. So I think what that, I think that's what the rocking thing is. Well, it sounds like you were, you were taught that 
you know, just like for many behaviors that don't have anything to do with blindness, kind of the idea of there's a time and a place. And exactly. How do you make decisions? Not to say that rocking is a bad thing by any means, but to, to you know, bring bring up that point that there are certain things you might save for, you know, more private time and more when you're in public or on a job or in school. Um, but then, you know, what you said about your parents is really key. We work a lot with families um, on, you know, helping them to learn what their young people are learning to do. Um, so to encourage them to, you know, I always like saying to all the parents at the end of our summer, yes, you're child learned how to do his or her own laundry and gets a big cheer from a lot of the families who are there, but the key is Mm -hmm. to keep letting them keep doing it. Um, And so those are the kind of things that, you know, we like to... uh, Yeah, that's important. Well, I think that, that, you know, it was my mom would give me stuff to wash with when I was about four or five, and I had a, a toy washboard. I was a little uh-huh. kid and I was washing things and it would keep me busy and it would keep me out of trouble and um and I would help her. All the time she had me in the kitchen always cutting up things and, and peeling things and using sharp knives and people would say to her, How can you let Joan use sharp knives? And Mom would say, She's gonna be using them when she gets older and I need her help. She's my scullery maid. And we, we laughed a lot about that. And she said, Joni, do you feel like being my scullery maid? I said, what do you need done? She And she would tell me. And I would um, uh, take the peas out of the pot or, or shell the lima beans. And, and um, I grew up at a my, – my family really didn't know anything about blind people. And I think they were shocked. To that when they had me, I was three and a half months premature, and this kid couldn't see. What are we going to do? But Mom decided, and Dad too, they were going to make me do things um, for myself, and I was doing stuff very, very early. As soon as I could do things. If we ever meet, you'll have to bring your specialty. We'll have a potluck. <laughs> well, I was married, and I I'm divorced, and I had a child. I had one child who passed away, but uh, I always cooked. He and his friends and had kids over all the time. So, well, that's anyway. a good sign. If you cook well, then you get a lot of the kids coming to the house. So. <laughs> yeah, my this is true. <laughs> Oh, thank yeah. you. All right. Well, Jennifer, it's been a real pleasure having you with us tonight. Well, thank you and so much for And thank you for coming me. on the show. I know you have a very busy schedule, being a mother, being an administrator, being all the other things that you are to people. So thanks again for your time. And thank you for having me. It was nice to meet everyone who was on the call. It was nice meeting you too, Jennifer. Nice meeting you. you.